in January of this year, this guy, this athlete, Ron Hill, finally took a day off. This 78-year-old guy from Lancashire in England, he competed in Olympic Games in the 1960s and the 1970s, and then he became a marathon champion, finishing 115 of those marathons. However, his greatest claim to fame is he's the holder of the world's greatest run streak. Now, to qualify for a run streak, you have to run at least one mile a day, every single day, without fail. And this guy, Ron, has done this, believe it or not, for the last 52 years and 39 days. He didn't even miss a day when he snapped his sternum in a car crash in the 1990s. And he only stopped in January because he's having serious chest pains when he was running. And he finally said, I have to get, take a break. It's a remarkable achievement, isn't it? It's incredibly tough to keep going day after day after day after day after month after year after decade. Now it's tough doing that in running. But I think it's even more tough to do that in the Christian life. In our Christian lives and service, to keep on going, it's tough to day in and day out keep on serving the Lord. Most of, if not all of us, are at times tempted to ease off, to take a break, or even just to give up completely. But there are Christians who overcome this temptation. And they just keep on serving God no matter how tough it gets. And I believe the Apostle Paul was one of those guys. And in this second last section in 2 Corinthians, he shows us how we need to keep on going in our life and our service for God. So we're going to read this passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to read from verse 1 down to verse 10. And try and learn how we can keep on serving. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or, two, of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him. Yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God. That you will not do anything wrong. 
Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I'm absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up. Not for tearing you down. Now, I'm sure if you've been with us at all as we'll be looking through this letter, you'll have realised that this was a difficult letter for Paul for Paul to write. He had led many of these Corinthians to the Lord. And yet, his relationship with these, these, these Christians was extremely, extremely strained. They had criticised his decisions. They'd questioned his character, his ability, his apostleship, his message. And they'd even accepted those who opposed Paul and who preached a different message. And yet here, right at the start of this passage, Paul declares his willingness to visit them again. This will be my third visit to you. And that shows remarkable commitment that Paul had to these guys. Remember, this was in the age when travel was difficult and dangerous. You couldn't just hop on a Ryanair flight and head over there in a couple of hours. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, remember Paul wrote this? Three times I was shipwrecked. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. This was a difficult journey that Paul was willing to make. A dangerous journey. He was putting his life at risk to go and visit them. But, but even more than that, Paul's previous visit to Corinth, his pre- previous visits had been far from easy. On his first visit, he'd been violently opposed by the Jews. And this had caused Paul to be so impacted by this that God saw that Paul was really struggling so much that the Lord came in a vision and spoke to Paul. And this is what he said. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And it was only this promise of God's presence with Paul that empowered him to stay there for a year and a half and preach the gospel faithfully and see God work through him. So his first visit to Corinth was really tough. But I think that Paul believed that his second visit was even more difficult. Remember way back in chapter 2 we read that this was a painful visit. Not because of the persecution of unbelievers this time, but because of opposition from within this church. People were attacking Paul in this church. And it was so bad that Paul decided he had to leave or things were just going to get worse and worse. But despite all of this, Paul was willing to go back. He didn't give up on them. He didn't walk away. 
He didn't abandon him. He said, he didn't say, well, I've had enough of that. I'll go to somewhere where people really like me and accept me. He was committed to fulfilling God's call on his life to minister to this church. And this is our call too. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. As brothers and sisters in Christ, God wants us to be committed to each other. To stick by each other. In the good times, but also in the bad. Not to have just a relationship that was saying, well, I'll keep on coming to church, I'll keep on being part of this family, as long as things are good and going well. As long as I'm enjoying it. As long as everybody's nice to me, I'll stay here. It's a deeper commitment that God is looking for. To stick in and to be devoted to each other even when things are hard. Why is that? Why does God want that kind of love to be shared among us? Well, of course, because that's God's commitment to us, isn't it? He is the God who says to us, Never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. But Paul wasn't just willing to visit them, to revisit this church. He was also willing to repeat his message to them. Look at verse 2. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, and I now repeat it while absent. Paul had warned them before about the danger that they were in. Either from the false teaching that they'd accepted, or maybe from the wrong lifestyles that some of them were living. But some of them in the church had just not listened. They hadn't bothered. They'd ignored it. They'd rejected Paul's warning. But Paul didn't react to that and say, well, I'm going to stop speaking about it. He didn't just give up. Neither did he change his message to suit what they were looking for. He says in verse 8, we cannot do anything against the truth. Paul was willing to speak that truth whether they liked it, whether they welcomed it, whether they accepted it or not. Instead, Paul was willing to warn them again and again that when he came back, he would discipline those who were sinning. He backed up this this commitment to repeat his warning from one of the principles from the law. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This goes back to the the nation of Israel where court cases required more than one witness testimony before somebody was going to be convicted. And so in the same way, Paul was willing to repeat his warning To convict them of their need to repent. He was willing to say the same thing again and again. So that they would be convicted of their sin. Of their mistakes and the failures they were making in their lives. So that they would repent and be restored. Now I think that's easy to do. That's tough to do. It can be so disheartening to have to say the thing more than once. 
Sometimes I think we might be tempted. I'm only going to tell you this once. Then it's up to you. Ever felt like to say that? But we know that as parents, or teachers, or coaches, or managers, or just friends, often people need to hear something twice, three times, four times, five times, again and again and again, before it really sinks in. And so if we really love people, if we're really committed to them, then we should be willing to repeat that message. Because that's how God has spoken. Throughout history, God has called out to this world again and again, warning them of his coming, danger, of his coming judgment and their need of, of, of salvation. He's warned them again and again. And when Jesus came, he repeated this warning. He repeated this call. And today, God still patiently calls out to this world. In fact, in, this is Peter's explanation for why Jesus hasn't come back yet. He says this in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is still calling out to this world repeating that warning sharing the gospel hoping that they'll come to repentance and so we are called to do the same to faithfully repeat the message of the gospel to faithfully preach the truth again and again this is what Paul wrote to Timothy preach the word Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We need to be people who are willing to keep on going out to this world and preaching the gospel again and again. We can't ever get to the point of saying, well, I've done my bit and I'm just going to take a break. How can we do that? Where can we get that energy, that commitment from, that power to keep on doing that? Well, Paul knew that his power was from God. He was confident in God's power. If somebody thinks there's a little mouse here, it's not, it's not a little mouse, it's just Ern has the hiccups. So don't worry about that. Some people in Corinth were questioning whether God was really speaking through Paul. He says this, you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. Some of the people in in that church, they were unimpressed by his ability, unimpressed with his lack of eloquence. They doubted the effectiveness of his ministry. Is God really speaking through that guy? I don't feel it. I don't hear it. But Paul's confidence... It wasn't in himself, but it was in the one who spoke through him. He says this, He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Paul believed in the power of God to change people's hearts. 
Isn't that amazing? That people can change? That God can change people's hearts? That he can confront the arrogant? That he can convict the sinner? That he can change the hopeless? That he can comfort the discouraged? This is what Paul said in in chapter 10 of this letter. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul was willing to keep on speaking to this church, keep on warning them, keep on teaching them, keep on encouraging them. Because he believed in God's power working through him to set people free. That's why Paul kept on going. And that's why we can keep on going and sharing the gospel. That's why we can keep going. Even if it's times we seem to see people who are so hardened, so embittered to the gospel, and you think, how can they ever get it? And yet, we can say with Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We believe in a God who powerfully works and changes people's hearts. And we can have that confidence that God will work to change people's hearts even when we feel weak. Even when we feel feeble. Many people accuse Paul of being weak. And Paul in many ways knew this is this was true. We are weak in him, he says, in verse 4. In this letter, he has described his weakness, his physical and emotional pain, his times of poverty, his times of great need, his times of intense suffering, even that thorn in the flesh that weakened him so much that he felt he just couldn't do anything. But Paul knew that none of that weakness really mattered. Because even in his weakness, he could say, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. He knew that God often chooses to work in power through our weakness. The ultimate example of this is the cross of Jesus Verse 4, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. On the cross, Jesus looked weak. He looked helpless. He looked unable to save anybody. And yet it was through the weakness of the cross that God accomplished the powerful plan of salvation that was demonstrated by the empty tomb. On resurrection morning. Jesus was crucified in weakness. Yet he lives by God's power. And so we don't need to despair when we feel powerless. We don't need to give up when we feel exhausted. And drained. Because God has chosen to work in power in our lives. 
even in our weakness. Remember this, cha- this verse in chapter 4, verse 7, which is one of my favourite. We have this treasure. This treasure of the gospel in jars of clay, us, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. But thirdly, this confidence that God is working through us, it depends on how certain we are of God's salvation. The Corinthians, they spent a great deal of time examining Paul. Thinking, is he really an apostle? Is he really the kind of guy that we want to follow? Is he really as good as those other guys? But Paul told them, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Of course, we're much more comfortable examining other people, aren't we? It's much more comfortable for, you, for all of you to sit there and say, well, what does Andrew do? What kind of life has Andrew got? How, how well is he doing in his, in his Christian life? That's easy, isn't it? Much harder for us to shine the light on each of you. I'll not mention you by name because I'll give you a heart attack. Eh, that's, that's much, much harder, isn't it? To shine the light on ourselves. Now, sometimes we do need to examine other people. There are situations where it is right that we examine other people. For example, when choosing those who serve in our church, Paul says they must first be tested. And then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons in the church. So, as a church, we should test people before we give them responsibilities of leadership or service in our church. And then when people claim to speak a message from God to us, then we also need to test them. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything and hold on to the good. In fact, when Paul, he visited the town of this, or the city of Berea, they were commended because every, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They did the right thing. When Paul came to them, they tested him. They checked it up to see if it was conforming to the, the, the word of God. And that was a good thing. But testing others must never be used as an excuse to avoid testing ourselves. Because testing ourselves is our first responsibility. Before we look at others, we need to first of all look at ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. And the first and most important question that we should ask of ourselves is where do we stand with God? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Yes, at times it's good for us to examine our attitudes and our actions and our words, and our decisions that we make, and the, and the things that we do, to see if we're conforming to what God has planned for us, to see if we're, we are living in the way that we're called to live, following the footsteps of Jesus. That's a good thing for us to do. But if we start there, then what we'll see is, we'll, we'll see all the ways that we fall short of that. 
We'll see all the ways that we fall short of, of who Jesus is. We'll see all of our failures, all of our inadequacies, all of our sin. And the danger of that is that we just become discouraged and disheartened and in despair. So I don't think that's where we need to start as Christians to, to examine ourselves. Because then we'll just give up. Instead, we need to start with this basic question. Of whether we're in the faith. Have we put our faith in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord? Have we asked him to forgive us our sin and to lead our lives? Because if we have not, then it doesn't matter what else we do. It doesn't matter how good we think we are. It doesn't matter how much we try. It doesn't matter how much we come to church. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how many good things you do. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, then we're still lost and outside of God's family. But if we have put our faith and trust in Christ, if we have accepted Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, that even if we recognize the ways that we fall short of, of the, the life that we want to live or the life that God wants us to live, even if we recognize this, the things that we still struggle with, the failures that we still have in our life, the weaknesses that are still there in our character, then we can stand with confidence to know that we still have eternal life, that we still belong to God. This is how John puts it in 1 John chapter 5. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So that's a crucial question. Are we in the faith? Do we have the Son in our life? Have we accepted Jesus as our Savior and Lord? Now Paul, he was sure he'd passed the test. He was confident in that. And he wanted the believers in Corinth to to have that same certainty. Because if we pass this test, then we can stand with the certainty of knowing that whatever else is in our life, whatever other struggles we face, that Christ Jesus is in you. That Christ is in you. When Jesus sent his disciples out into this dark and difficult and dangerous world, he knew that they would face opposition. He knew that they would face hardship. He knew that they would face some days when they felt like they just couldn't keep going. And so he promised them, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I am with you. And it is that certainty, that promise, that reality, that enables us to keep on living for God, that keep on serving Him day after day after day. It's not in our character. It's not in our goodness. It's not in our achievements. It's not in our abilities. It's not in our knowledge. It's not in our programs. The strength to keep on going is in the reality of Christ in us. His presence with us. 
So we need to be certain of that. We need to be able to stand on that solid ground. Of knowing that no matter what happens, we are certain of our salvation. We are certain that Christ is in us. But that doesn't lead us to complacency. That doesn't mean we just sit back and say, well, I'm saved and that's okay and I don't need to do anything about it. No, it's that presence of, the presence of Christ in us that energizes us to go forward day after day to serve God. And this is what Paul had been doing for the Corinthians in a number of, way, number of ways. First of all, verse 7, he'd been praying for them. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, he says. Paul was committed to praying for these Corinthians that they would do what was right in their lives. He also wrote that our prayer is for your perfection. Now I don't think that means that that he thought that they could ever get that place of, of sinless perfection in their life. But rather, that word perfection could also be translated restoration. Our prayer is for your restoration. He was praying that God would bring them back to being the community of God's people that they'd been called to be. And Paul didn't pray for that for his own benefit. He says, verse 7, Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to fail. He didn't want this church to do well so that he would get the credit or that it would validate his ministry. That wasn't his, his motivation. He was just concerned for them. He prayed for them because he loved them. Secondly, he'd also written to them. Our last verse that we read, verse 10. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I may come to you, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority that the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Paul had the authority to confront error and correct those who'd been, who'd been following it, but he wasn't looking for opportunities to use that authority to tear people down, to trample on people. So he wrote them in love to encourage them so they would get back on track with God. So he could continue to build them up as a community of God's people. And then lastly, Paul was willing to do this. Even through suffering for them. Verse 9. Really challenging verse, I think, to finish with. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. As we've seen in this letter, Paul's ministry cost him so much in so many ways. But Paul was more than willing to suffer in weakness if it meant that this church would go from strength to strength in the relationship with Christ. That's why Paul was able to keep on serving. Because he wasn't in it for himself. He, didn't, he wasn't in it as long as things went well for himself. He didn't ask the question, what am I getting out of this? That just wasn't on his mind. Rather than compassion, he was laying down his life for other people. No matter what the cost. 
Now that wasn't because Paul was a great guy. That wasn't because Paul was the most compassionate or loving or big-hearted guy on the planet. It's because Christ's love had poured down into his heart and transformed him. Remember back in chapter 5? He said, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love. Not his love. Not his big heart. But the reality of Christ's love expressed at the cross. That's what drove him. It mobilized him. Energized him to keep on going. And if we are going to keep on going in our Christian lives, then we need that same love of Christ to motivate us to selflessly serve others. If we get involved in service for what we can get out of it, then sooner or later we're going to be discouraged or defeated. Because the lack of appreciation is going to get to us. Or the cost will be too high. And we'll just give up. But if we get involved in service, because Christ's love motivates us, to reach out in compassion to other people, then we'll be able to keep on serving, no matter what. Whether it's in praying for people, or writing to people, or speaking to people, or even in suffering for them. So living for Christ and serving Him day after day can be tough. But we don't need to be among those who give up. We don't need to throw in the towel. Instead, with God's help, we can be, the, be among those who remain committed to God's call. To be devoted to each other and to, to preaching the truth. To secondly, to be confident in God's power. To change lives even through weak people like us. Thirdly, that we can be certain of God's salvation. Knowing that because we've trusted in Christ, Christ lives in us. And lastly, compassionate towards God's people. Doing whatever we can to selflessly love each other as Christ has loved us. We can, with God's power, keep on serving day after day until Jesus comes back.